Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, hey everybody. Man, it is my honor to be like the fourth speaker in our, in our series. We've got Fillmore Bold speaking next week. You've heard from Alicia, from Nadia, from Jim. And I'm so excited today in our series on the practice of biblical living to speak to you on what I think is one of the most important topics in our Christian faith, something that we should be very good at, and that is forgiveness. And I want to talk to you today, I guess, from my own journey. And I want to start with kind of like a confession. Is it okay if, I, if we do that? This is the church, or this is a safe environment. And I want to confess this to you today, that I have a love-hate relationship with everything. And if you're taking notes, that today is the title of the message, A Love-Hate relationship. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us, touch us. God, anoint our time together today. God, we want to hear from you. We pray for genuine revelation from the word. Speak to us, God, wherever we're listening to this today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I have a love-hate relationship with everything. I mean, I love running. Soulmates Run Club represent, but I hate it too. I love that you get endorphins from running. I love that you get fit and healthy from running. I love that you can make friends whilst running. And I love that it's very social when you run. But at the same time, I hate it. I hate it because it's literally running. You literally are moving your body as quickly as you possibly can along the pavement. And for that reason, I hate it. I love working, but I hate it too. I love working as a lead pastor, as a minister, as the Holy Reverend of our church. But at the same time, I I hate it. I love it because I'm doing God's work. I love it because I can serve people. I love it because we get to make a genuine impact in the lives of others. But I hate it because in the the eternal words of Sean Knoll, who said that if it was fun, it it would be called fun, but it's not. It's called work. I love message prep, but I hate it. I love parenting, but I hate it. I love being married, but I hate it. I hate that I have to constantly sacrifice and take someone else's point of view into consideration, but I love it because I get a partner in life and I married my best friend. I love coffee, but I hate that it's $4 a cup. I love food, but I hate it when I eat too much. I love sport, but I hate it when my team loses. I love people, but I hate the idiosyncrasies. I love myself, but I hate it at the same time. I love you, but I, I hate you all the more. Uh, partly tongue-in-cheek, but you need to understand that don't you understand what it's like to have a love-hate relationship with everything? That in the one minute to love being a parent, but in the next wanting to just jump in your car and drive away as quickly as you can and alone as you can possibly be. On the one hand, you love and you're excited about work, and the next day you're considering penning your resignation. I'm calling it a love-hate relationship. But the Apostle Paul calls it something a little bit different. He calls it a war. He calls it and describes it as two forces that are at work within you. He describes the law that's at work. In Galatians 5.17, he says this, The sinful nature wants to do evil. That's hate. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. That's love. And if the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that we are not free to carry out our good intentions, a love-hate relationship. 
Romans 7.15 says, I do not understand what I do, for what I, <laughs> for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. That's a love-hate relationship. In verse 21, the writer of the book of Romans goes on to say, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's work, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So then I realize, then it goes on to say this in verse 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. A battle that's on the inside, a love-hate relationship. The old Cherokee man said that it was two wolves fighting. Walt Disney put a, an angel on one shoulder and the iconic devil with a pitchfork and a long tail on the other. All of these to describe two forces that are at work. That on the one hand, through the Holy Spirit, we have the incredible ability to do good. We have the ability to impact lives, the ability to, to bring love and hope and faith into the lives of people to do good works. But at the same time, in our human nature, we have the incredible ability to cause pain and suffering. The Apostle John wrote in the book of John, chapter 3 and verse 30, he said this, In order for you, that's God, that's love, that's the spirit that's at work, in order for you to increase, I, flesh, must decrease. Another translation says this, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. In my love-hate relationship with parenting, my job is to arrest the hate and increase the love that's increasing God in my life. Today, we're going to talk about the biblical practice of forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but my intro today has served for me as my experience of this practice. I indeed have a love-hate relationship with forgiveness. Someone does me wrong and and I, I, I instantly go on the offensive. Some people get defensive, take things personally. I, I, I do quite the opposite. I would like to eviscerate my opponent. I've studied law. I've debated for three years formally. I love a good fight. I'm always ready for a good skirmish. I like to just throw my words and my weight around a little bit. But I know that on the other hand, I should walk away. I know that on the other hand, it's not worth my time. I know that on the other hand, I should just forgive and do myself a favor and just forget about it but I can't, or at least I find it very, very, very difficult. I have a love-hate relationship with forgiveness. Don't you? Don't you have one too? When we think about Jesus, who gives us the best example of forgiveness, when we think about Jesus, who gives us the gold standard of human relations, he said this on the cross. In Luke 23, verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That person that wrote that pseudo-political post on Facebook. Forgive them for they don't know what they do. They don't know what they're talking about. Forgive them because they don't know that they cause you pain. They're not malicious. They're not out to cause you damage. They don't mean to deeply negatively impact you. But they do and we allow it, but we don't need to. If I had a whiteboard here, I would draw you this sequence. Here you are, having a great day, walking in step with the Spirit and someone does you wrong by deed or word, someone does a disservice and someone hurts you, the flesh starts to win that battle and then you engage. Bridges are burned and it's awkward for at least a week. That same sequence done a different way could look something like this. You're walking in step with the Spirit, having a great day, 
and someone does you a disservice, someone does you wrong by deed or word, someone hurts you, and you don't let the flesh win that day, you let the spirit win. You don't engage, you walk away, you allow the spirit a great victory, you forgive them, and you do, in our lives, I believe, what is the most Christ-like thing that we could do, we offer a simple sense of forgiveness. And all of a sudden, in the love-hate relationship that you have with forgiveness, love wins. And you walk away, clicking your heels in delight, knowing that you have won a great victory that day. As we journey through the biblical practice of forgiveness, I kind of want to say something off the top, right up front. And, and I want to let you know something that I believe is really, really important at the fundamental level of what it is that we're talking about. And that is simply this. Could you write this down? Would you, could you grab something? Could you grab your phone? Would you mind grabbing a pen or a piece of paper? Grab your journal. And, and I can see Taylor Schaefer writing out his journal. One of the great journalists that I know, writing some notes in like 0.7 font. This guy's just so clean, so precise, just so brilliant. And he's writing this. And would you join Taylor as he writes? Could you write this? You have been forgiven. In fact, change that pronoun. Could you do that? Write this. I have been forgiven. Did you know that? Did you, have you let that sink in? Do you know deep down, have you let it soaked in deep into your bones that you and I have been forgiven, that Jesus came to find you, he came to forgive you, and he came to help you? Don't believe me? Sure. Hey, Chris Spencer's coined, coined an emoji. It looks like this. You don't believe me? Then let me throw some scripture your way just to just aid my point here today. Revelation 1 verse 5 says this, To him who loves us, that's Jesus, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. 1 John 1 7 says this, The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Purifies us from all sin. Let me put it this way. I believe that there are two types of sin. Not big sin and small sin, not good sin and bad sin. Um, not everyday sin and uncommon sin. No, no, no. There are two types of sin. The first type of sin is forgiven sin. The second type is unforgiven sin. Forgiven sin and unforgiven sin, that's all we're talking about. When you and I sin, it is unforgiven. When we do something wrong, it's unforgiven sin. It is just plain old ugly sin. Yet the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not only that, the Bible then goes on to say something even more important, even more significant, even more powerful. It's like a bolded, and here comes the underline, that He removes our sin from us. The Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 12, that as far as the east is from the west, that he has removed our transgressions from us. Did you know how far the east is from the west? In Canada, a long way, right? How far, how far uh, uh, the, you know, the Maritimes are from BC, from Victoria Island, a long way. But what about on the earth even further? What about in our universe? This, my friends, is an ever-increasing distance. And when we bring our unforgiven sin to Jesus, he forgives us, then removes it from us, takes it away. We're too good at walking. We come to the Lord, would you forgive me? And then we walk away with our, with our forgiven sin. We come with unforgiven sin, but we leave with forgiven sin. But he says, no, 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 I'll separate it from you. But he goes one step further. He's bolded, underlined. Here's the italicized. 
He doesn't just forgive, he doesn't just remove, but he forgets. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is big news. This is huge. Then I want you then to acknowledge that, please. And then I want you to ask yourself this question, like I'm asking myself today. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from others? If someone offends me, if someone hurts me, if someone does something to really get on my nerves, I need to remember, I have been forgiven. Jesus forgave me, therefore I have the ability to forgive others. And who am I to withhold that forgiveness after I have been forgiven so much in my life? He's faithful to forgive me on my worst day so that I am able and proactive to forgive others on their worst day. There are two people who can use, uh, who I'd like to use as, I guess, as an illustration, uh, hypothetical people. The polar opposites, I think, of forgiveness. Person A doesn't believe that he does anything wrong. He needs to understand that he is self-deceived. And he needs to understand that Romans 3.23 simply says, we all fall short of the glory of God. This person believes that he does nothing wrong. You could relate. Person B believes that he only does wrong. This person is God-deceived. The first person is self-deceived. Friends, you do wrong. You're a human. That's life. It, receive it, the bad news today. The other person thinks they only do wrong. Friend, you're God-deceived. You need to understand that if you confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and wash you clean. Therefore, you are not as low as you think. You think that the gap between you and God is so big that you can't reach Him. But the first person, person A, believes that the gap between him and God is so small and God is like a pear. Friends, the gap is huge, but Jesus bridged that gap and forgave us our sin. Don't be deceived. We have sinned. We need Jesus, but he has forgiven us. He's come close. He has made a tremendous impact in our life and forgiven us of our sins. And so then we therefore have that ability and that right to forgive others. As we come to, to the close, or I guess to the, the next portion of the message today, there are two things I'd like to say, just two things that I'd like to make abundantly clear. And I believe that this week, if you practice them, it will make all the impact in your life. If you're taking notes, write them down. The first thing I would say is this, repent regularly. And the second thing I would say is this, forgive freely. Repent regularly and forgive freely. On the first point, Repent regularly. Repentance has um, a stigma, I think. Repentance has like a, like a, like it's like a horrible process. You know, like washing a dog or crawling on grass. Well, crawling on grass is not that bad. Crawling on glass, though, that's a whole other level of pain. That, that repentance is like doing the dishes. It's like cleaning the windows. It's like folding the laundry. These are not things that we look forward to. But these views are flawed. Because repentance is wonderful. Repentance is cause for celebration. Because of repentance, my life can move forward. My life can change. I have a relationship with Christ because I've done wrong, but I can repent that wrongdoing and we can have relationship. It's you allowing God to tear down the wall of hostility and the wall of sin that exists between you and Him. It's you allowing God to do His work in your heart of healing and washing and cleansing. It's you, it's you acknowledging that He's God and that you are not. It's caused, my friends, for joy. Repentance is a U-turn. 
Jesus, I was going this way. I'm sorry. I want to go your way. I'm letting go of my old ways and walking into the new. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 123, 23 and 24. This is what the psalmist David wrote. He said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, time out. Because like, I think most of us know when we do wrong. I think we do wrong, I think we know it. I think I raise my voice at the kids, I think I know it. I think I, you know, frown at Nadia at something she's suggesting, and I think I know it. I think we do wrong. David's like taking it to another level. He's like, hey man, I do wrong, that's fine. But God, just between you and me, search my heart. Blind spot. Check my blind spot. God, there's got to be stuff I've done that's wrong. And I desperately want to find it. And, and, and I can't. And, and like, I don't know, because it's a blind spot. The whole, the whole point is that I can't see it. You search it for me and find wrongdoing so that I can walk in the joy of repentance and so that I can walk in the way everlasting with you. I want to make sure there's nothing in the way between my relationship with you. So search my heart. In other words, he was so desperate not to have sin in his life that he prayed for a heart x-ray from God. What a bold prayer. That this man understood the habit and the regular practice of repentance and forgiveness in his own life. And David was not short of wrongdoing, but he was quick to ask God for forgiveness and he was quick to repent. When you repent regularly, you remove any hostility that exists between you and God and you begin to live in freedom. And when you come to God and say, God, I am sorry. God, I did you wrong. God, forgive me. God, I'm outside of what I think that I, uh, that, you know, what I think about what you want for me. I'm not in the right place with you. I'm distant. I'm, my bad. Help me. That he is quick to help and he's quick to forgive and he is faithful to do so. Repent regularly, daily, multiple times every day. You got a minute? Jesus, forgive me. God, I pray you search my heart. I'm sorry. I, I just I, give me a fresh start. Every Sunday in church, we we give a, a what we call a salvation altar call, which is a a way of saying we give people a moment to pray what we would call the sinner's prayer to get their life right with God. Just so you know, like let's say there's 52 services a year. Just so you know, well, 104 services a year, whatever. However many services we run on a Sunday, times 52. I pray that prayer every Sunday, meaningfully, minimum. I want to be someone who prays that prayer multiple times a day, but at minimum, when someone gives a salvation altar call, I'll pray that prayer. Forgive me of my sin, and I thank you that you do. Because I know that from the last time I prayed it, for sure I've sinned. I know that from the last time I prayed it, I've veered off in my walk with God, and I need Him in my life. And I want to meaningfully and regularly repent to make sure that I'm on what we call a straight and narrow. Repent regularly. And then, friends, if you're taking notes, forgive freely. Forgive freely. Forgive loosely. Forgive often. When it comes to forgiveness, we need to understand that it is a tremendous privilege. To be able to forgive others is a huge part of what it is to be a Christian. It's a huge part of what it is to be someone who's a little Christ, who's walking the way of Jesus. That without forgiveness, without the opportunity to pray and ask God for repentance to know my wrongdoing, we have no faith. We are, without, without the acknowledgement of wrong, there can be no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, 
Repentance is truly meaningless. God was so passionate about making sure there was a way for us to have relationship with him that the Bible says that there was a curtain 60 feet wide, 60 feet tall, 6 feet wide of thick fabric that God ripped from the top to the bottom when Jesus died on the cross that gave us access to the most holy place. That before you would have to have training, you'd have to be a priest and walk through and you'd have to go and offer a sacrifice for the atonement of sins. But God ripped it from the top to the bottom. Now let's say, let's say, let's say we were together and there was a curtain that was 60 feet high and we tried to rip it. 60 feet. That's got to be like uh, four stories. Got to be four, four, five, six stories of a building. That's an apartment block. We can't rip it from the top. We would rip it from the bottom. But the curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom, which says to me that someone very tall, or someone who lives in heaven, ripped it from the top to the bottom in a, a sign or a mark or a signal to us that said, hey, I'm passionate about you having a way to the most holy, most holy place to my presence. That he's forgiven us, that when we pray, remember that. Let that be your starting point. I'm forgiven. I have the opportunity for forgiveness through repentance. And as a result of receiving that forgiveness, I can give it very, very freely. The Bible says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says this, For God was pleased to have all the fullness, all of his fullness dwell in him. Speaking of God's fullness dwelling in Jesus, who's a part of the Godhead. And through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That because of Jesus, we have the chance to be reconciled to God. The good news of the gospel is that God has reconciled us to himself. We now have a relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 in the message translation says, all of this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. That is crucial. Let me read it again. 2 Corinthians 5.19. This comes from the God who settled his relationship between us and him. Huge, 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 huge. Big moment. Settled the relationship. No issues. We're all good. You know when you're off with someone, things aren't right, and that, you know, you know there's issues, and then it's settled, and you're just like, oh, this is great. You know, me and Nadia have a fight, have an argument, have a disagreement, and it's awkward for a minute, and then we settle it. Oh, beautiful. This is great. This is amazing. We can just get on and live our happy lives together. Then the Bible says this, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. Uh, okay, I thought this was just about me and God. And God is saying, yeah, that's the first step. Second step is now it's about you and other people. If God is reconciling us to himself is the good news, then God reconciling us to one another is the hard news, is the real talk news, is the next step news. Jesus goes to great lengths to teach us a new way of living that encourages us to forgive freely. We have been forgiven. We repent regularly. We therefore need to, have to. It's our responsibility to forgive freely. Got a bad relationship with your parents? Forgive freely. And some disruption with your siblings? Forgive freely. Colleague at work? Forgive freely. Friends that you know? Forgive freely. 
upset with people in the church, disgruntled with leadership, hate your lead pastor, forgive freely. The Bible says in Matthew 5.38, in the message version, says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for your shirt, take the shirt off your back and gift wrap your best coat. Okay. And then it says this. And make a prison of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. The Bible says here, if he sues you for your shirt, give him your shirt, but then give him your best coat. Okay, so, like, I don't know if you've heard of um, Canada Goose. These are some expenny coats. Let's say you have this sick winter coat, and someone's like, man, that's it, I'm suing you for your shirt. The Bible says, give him the Canada Goose. I'm not giving my Canada Goose to anybody. This hard-earned loonies to buy this thing. There's some hard-earned cash, money to buy this jacket. But, but he's like, no more tit for tat. Live generously. Just live freely. Like, like, here's a new way of living. Forgive freely. You begin to live in freedom when we start to execute what Jesus teaches us. A really important concept, I think, when it comes to forgiveness, and I touched on this about a month ago, right at the end of our message talking about relationships, is that Jesus teaches us this, this God way of living that is about the fact that the offended takes the initiative. Like with God, he, we were the ones who offended God. Like I don't think God's offended. I don't think God's hurt. I don't think God is upset. But we, we hurled hurt at him through our lifestyle and through our behavior. We offended him through our behavior. We, we were nice to God. We were separated from him through our actions, through our behavior. But God teaches us that the offender takes the initiative. The one who's hurt takes the first step. We should be known for initiative, for kindness, love, forgiveness, empathy, patience, generosity. We should be known because we are Christians. We're followers of Christ. Picture with me the Garden of Eden. You've got Adam and Eve, and you've got the apple on the tree, and with the fruit of the garden, and you've got the serpent tricking Eve, and she eats the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God comes and he's like, hey, yo, whoa, what's up? What's going on here? Why are you hiding? Where are you? What's the story? They're like, oh, we ate it. He's like, I told you not to eat it. And they're like, yeah, I know, it's crazy. Like, serpent came and then Adam's like, it was Eve, man. It was the woman, say, point, he's like this. It was the woman, say, accuse one person, that you gave me. See, so accuses her and then God. This guy, he's like, the woman you gave me, like, you gave me a woman, this is good news. And, you know, she's the problem. So therefore you're the problem. Okay. So then the woman goes, ah, it wasn't me. It was, the, it was the snake. And then the snake's like. So you have everyone blaming someone else, but not one person took responsibility. So then what does God do? I'm not saying God was hurt or offended by the actions, but the, the actions were offensive and hurtful. God then, in a position to be offended or hurt and to, and to lay out unforgiveness as you and I probably would in a love-hate relationship, he goes, okay, you know what? I'll take responsibility. He looks at the man, looks at the woman, looks at the devil, dishes out appropriate discipline, and then goes on really what is a, an era and generational lifestyle of embarking on a redemptive journey for all of the human race and teaches us that the one offended takes responsibility. 
that the offended takes initiative. The book of Romans says this, 5.15, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more to God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. That instead of pointing and blaming others, God said, you know what? That's it. I'll take responsibility. Here's some discipline. Here's my action. Let's bring us back into relationship. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a three-legged race. You know, you get like a, like a Hessian sack, like a sugar sack or a coffee sack. And they, um, you know, and you put one leg in, your right leg in it, and then someone else puts their left leg in. And then so now you've got three legs. Your left leg, the combined two legs, and then their right leg. And you have to run a race. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I mean, you shouldn't. It's not that great. So in the three-legged race, you're bound to your partner. Actually, you can tie a rope, you're bound to your partner. You can only go as far or as fast as your partner is willing to do so. That's, what, that's how we treat forgiveness. We say, I won't forgive that person until they ask for it. I won't forgive that person until they earn it. I won't forgive that person until they deserve it. When we do that, we are emotionally binding ourselves to the person that hurt us and living our lives in step, but we can only move as far or as fast as that allow us or as our unforgiveness will allow. But the hurt and the offended in our faith takes the initiative. The hurt or the offended in our faith takes responsibility. Mark 8.35 says, For whoever loses his life would save his life. But whoever loses his, excuse me, says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. One of my closest friends in all the world is a young man in New Zealand. His name is Savan Un. Savan Un. Married to a woman named Rachel, his wife, been married for many years, three beautiful daughters. And Savan is uh, the softest, kindest, um, most, most soft-hearted uh, Cambodian guy, friend, been a friend of mine for, man, 25 years. When I first met him, he was a practicing Buddhist, and uh, he would go to the temple and pray often, multiple times a day, and we were, in, we were in high school together. We met at the tail end of intermediate, like middle school, grade seven and eight, and then from grade nine onwards, we were, we were really close friends. And um, when I first met Savan, he went through what I would say would be one of the most horrible traumas one of the most horrible experiences you could ever go through. And my friend Savan walked home with his younger brother and sister and walked into his family home, his family apartment, like a government housing flat, um, and found his mum on the floor and she had, been, she had been killed. She had been murdered. She'd been stabbed, um, in fact, over a hundred times in a fit of rage by a neighbour and had kicked down the door. I think she wanted something and Savan's mum didn't have it. And she was so upset by that, she came and took this woman's life. And Savan and his brother and sister found his mum there. And so he's now having to protect his younger brother and sister and, and, and calls the police and the ambulance and mum's pronounced dead. And the whole thing is just um, a national story and would become um, one of the most important criminal law stories in, in New Zealand jurisprudence. And uh, the woman went to prison and Savan, you know, and obviously then lost his mum and grew up with his father. After a little while, him and I spent a lot more time together. And I remember talking to them about Jesus. And I was like, man, you know, like, you know, and I think like young teenage boys, like our conversations are pretty straightforward when it comes to stuff we love or whatever. And I was like, hey, man, like, bro, I think you need Jesus. 
And he's like, you know, what's that? And I was like, oh, dude, Jesus is God, man. And like, he came and died for your sins. And I know you're going through a tough time. And I know you could do with as much support as you, as you could get. And I don't know how often you, you, you know, feel like you could talk to Buddha or like he kind of like comes and like, you know, visits you in your prayers and talks to you. But like, I feel like I have a relationship with Jesus. He's like super cool. And Savan's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I'll do that. We pray a prayer. He starts walking with the Lord. He gets baptized and then his whole family disowns him because that's kind of a part of some of these, you know, these different faiths and religions. And, you know, he goes through another tough time. So it's like a really, really tricky time for him in his life. Really tough time. That's an understatement. Ten years later, fast forward, the woman who took the life of his mum comes out of prison. And the paper's looking for a story. So they interview my friend Savan. And they're like, hey man, Savan, you know, so this woman's out. And what do you think about the New Zealand legal system? And what do you think about the criminal justice system? And what are your thoughts? And, you know, does this woman need to stay in prison forever? Throw away the key, lethal injection. And he's like, oh, look, I, you know, I don't know much about that stuff. And, and I, I couldn't speak to you about those things. But he said, I, I never forget reading it. I never forget talking with him about it afterwards. And he just said these simple words. He said, look, all I know is this is that my God forgave me of all of my wrongdoing. And he forgives her. And I'm going to do the same because that's what I've learned through a relationship with Jesus. That I forgive this woman for the harm that she caused to my mom and to my family. And I guess that's kind of the way that I see it. And so I hope the very best for her. You could imagine the reporter who's looking for a story at that point doesn't know what to say. They're like, uh, you know, it's like a whole new story. And it's like a whole new humanitarian, you know, young man forgive, you know, but they're like, uh, we didn't come prepared for that. We came prepared to throw some dirt on this lady. But Savan took that dirt, put it back in the garden and said, you know what? Jesus loves her and he forgives her. And so do I. And I think for you and I, no matter what we face, no matter what we're in the middle of, no matter what trauma, has been caused, no matter what things have been said. There are people in our church, and right now you're going through a time right now that needs for someone to take initiative. It needs for someone to forgive and move on and forget and, and freely live a Christ-like life. And friends, that's us. Because if we don't, then who will? Friend, if you don't forgive, who will forgive? If you don't forgive your parents for walking out on you, the divorce they had, your friends for turning their back on you, if you don't, if you don't forgive people for doing wrong by you, friends that you thought would be there that were not there when you needed them, if you don't forgive them, then who will? Like that three-legged race, you're connected to that trauma and that unforgiveness all the days of your life. Friend, it's time to let go. It's time to forgive. And what a legend my friend Savan is that in that moment, he said, you know what? I don't know what kind of story you're looking for, but I know that the God that I know forgives this woman, and I do too. And what a challenge that is to us in our Christian faith. And so I wanna pray for, pray for you. I wanna pray for two groups of people. The first, first group of people is people who are struggling with unforgiveness. You know who you are. I've been talking and you've been like, oh, yeah, this is like, he's speaking to me. Yeah, I have been. Well, more importantly, I think God has been. I wanna pray for you. And then I want to pray for people that have not experienced the forgiveness of Christ, have not experienced that beautiful sense, that oil of heaven, like God forgives me for my sin, for my wrongdoing. It's okay. 
I can repent and turn around and go on my way with the backing of heaven because I've, I've come to him and, and acknowledged that I'm wrong. And so I want to pray for the first group. And so friend, if that's you, you're saying, I don't know Jesus. I'm distant from him, don't know him. Oh, excuse me, the first group that's saying, I'm struggling with unforgiveness. There are people that I do not want to forgive. There are people in my life that I have no desire whatsoever to forgive. I want to pray for you right now. Maybe you can close your eyes where you are and just receive what God has for you today. And Father, we, we thank you for your presence. And we earnestly ask today for your forgiveness. We pray that we could have the ability to forgive. Give us that grace to love and forgive others who have caused us pain. And we pray that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Second group of people, really important. You're not right with God. You haven't experienced the forgiveness of heaven. You're away from him. You don't know him. Friend, if that's you right now, then I would love to walk you in a very simple step-by-step -step prayer so that you could receive and experience that same forgiveness that my friend Savannah experienced when he decided, you know what? Jesus is the way. He's the truth. The Bible says he's the life. And experience the forgiveness of heaven that I received when I was 12 years old. A young man, not knowing what the future held, but knew that God was real. Jesus was alive and decided to make a decision and pray this prayer today. So if that's you, let me walk you in a prayer. Then I'll hand you back today to our MCs. And the prayer goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Love you so much. Pump for next week as Fillmore closes out our series on the practice of biblical living. I'll hand you back to our MCs now. Love you so much. See you next week. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.